Well, Paul tells us there in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to encourage one another. That's the word parakalao. Encourage one another. Build up one another just as you are doing. Ponder this theme of encouragement. Back in 1936, Myrtle Kramer gave birth in Jordan, Montana to her son named Jerry Kramer, who didn't stay a little long. He grew up to be six foot, three inches tall, 245 pounds, and played football for the University of Idaho. Football, you know football here in Barbados? You ever heard the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl in February will take place. In fact, they give out at the Super Bowl the Lombardi Trophy, named after the arguably most famous and great coach of all time, Vince Lombardi. Well, Jerry Kramer was playing for the Green Bay Packers in 1959 as he was a rookie, a brand new player, as a lineman. But they finished a very embarrassing nightmare season and their record was one win, 10 losses, one tie. But then they got a new coach named Vince Lombardi from the New York Giants. And when the preseason summer workouts began the next year, Big Jerry Kramer, the insecure Montana country boy, wondered how he would fare under the new coaching regime. So when the practice took place, he was uptight and plagued with self-doubt, and he made a poor first impression during the early practice field workouts. And it all came to a head during a certain goal line scrimmage when Kramer, the big lineman, he couldn't do anything right. He was jumping off sides. He was missing his assignments. He was late to his blocks. And all the while, the coaching staff was yelling at him with all kinds of criticisms. Now, Big Jerry Kramer was disoriented. He was suffocating the sense of failure. And he was on the verge of quitting football altogether right there and then. But he finished the practice and defeated. He crawled back to the locker room. He sat on a bench in front of his locker with his elbows on his knees, his face in his hands, about ready to say, I'm going to quit. And then walked into the locker room, the coach, Vince Lombardi. And Lombardi looked at what was taking place, and he sized it all up. And he walked over to Big Jerry Kramer, and he messed up his sweaty hair. He said to him, young man, someday you're going to be one of the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history. And then he walked away. And that was it. Kramer had given him a word of encouragement. That's what Lombardi had given to Kramer. A word of encouragement. And that timely locker room encouragement from Lombardi was a defining moment. Kramer claims that from that day forward, he was a changed man. Lombardi's encouraging comment at a disorienting moment shot Kramer, athletically speaking, to football greatness. He got up from that locker room bench and he never turned back. He became the anchor of the greatest dynasty in NFL history, the Green Bay Packers. He was the anchor of their offensive line. He dominated defensive players for the next 15 years. He's known for what's called the block. 
where there was big six foot six Jethro Pugh from the Dallas Cowboys who was blown out of the way by Jerry Kramer, the greatest offensive lineman in NFL history, blew open a hole so the quarterback Bart Starr was able to go in and win the NFL championship game. And what was the difference? Jerry Kramer became actually a member of the Hall of Fame and was inducted into it in Canton, Ohio, one of the greatest football players of NFL history. What was it that made the difference? It was a timely word of encouragement. Kramer condensed it down to this. There was just something about Vince Lombardi that brought out the best that a man could give. And a big part of that something was Lombardi's timely words of encouragement. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this to be true. And therefore, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Let's consider seven dimensions of encouragement then as we have time together. Seven dimensions of encouragement. The first dimension is, consider with me, encouragement is like adrenaline. Encourage one another. The apostle says, why? Well, I think it's because it's, it's like adrenaline. It's kind of a vivid picture of adrenaline, isn't it? Think with me of a, of a timid weakling being transformed into a heroic Hercules. Isn't that the, the stuff of ancient myths or modern fictional superheroes? I mean, have you ever seen the movie The Avengers? you ever seen The, the Hulk? But can somebody really be transformed from hermit to Hulk? Yeah, it can happen. In fact, in 2012, a woman named Lauren Kornacki, a 22-year-old from Glen Allen, Virginia, lifted a portion of a BMW off her father when the car had toppled from a jack onto her dad's chest. Also, there was another woman named Lydia Angiu who went toe-to-toe, listen to this, with a polar bear in northern Quebec. You see, she ran toward and tackled the beast to protect her son and his friends while they were playing hockey. You see, chemically and physiologically speaking, what happened to these cases to transform these hermits into hulks, these weaklings into Hercules? You know what it was? It was adrenaline. That's what happened. Adrenaline happened. You see, a chief factor in pushing the body to extremes is the well-known adrenaline rush. Anybody here ever have an adrenaline rush? Yeah, we, we, we all know what that means. Adrenaline is a, is a hormone. It's really epinephrine. Adrenaline, it's, it surges out of our adrenal glands into our blood, throughout our body. A physiologist says this, the release of adrenaline is rapid, seemingly instantaneous, so that we can respond according to a fight or flight situation. Uh, Adrenaline rush, there's a boosting of breathing and heart rate, flooding our muscles with extra oxygenated blood for more forceful exertion. Nerves from the spinal cord to the body's muscles recruit more motor units. Listen to this by a physiologist who says this. 
Adrenaline raises the heart, increases the epinephrine, a hormone that creates the state of readiness, helping the human confronted danger. Adrenaline raises the heart rate, increases respiration, dilates the pupils, slows down digestion, and perhaps most importantly, allows muscles to contract extraordinarily. That's the physiological explanation of an adrenaline rush. And you know what? Encouragement injects, at least figuratively, adrenaline. Bursts of adrenaline during stressful situations can boost abilities far beyond the muscular. Senses of vision, hearing, and touch are dramatically heightened. Thinking clarifies and is energized. Frames of mind change from timidity and insecurity and self-doubt to courage, resolution, and determination. We normally only use a small percentage of our strength capabilities, but an adrenaline rush can transform a timid weakling into a heroic Hercules. Here's the point I'm making in our first point when I say encouragement is like adrenaline. The point is that the wonder work by giving encouragement, I'm not suggesting certainly that adrenaline or encouragement biologically stimulates the hypothalamus and in turn explodes an adrenaline rush propelling an excellent performance. But what I am certainly claiming is this. Adrenaline, in many ways, is like encouragement. Encouragement is like adrenaline. See, my thesis in a nutshell is this. What adrenaline is able to do chemically and physiologically for the body, encouragement is able to do emotionally and psychologically for the soul. Encouragement can transform a person's spirit. Wise people, like the Apostle Paul, know it and tap into it. So what I'm saying here, first of our seven points is, encouragement is like adrenaline. That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Second of seven main headings is encouragement strengthens. It strengthens. You see, the Apostle Paul knew the exhilarating power of encouragement. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prescribes that Christians frequently help each other in running the race of the Christian life with a steady diet of encouragement. To to do so, he used this Greek word parakaleo, which is translated encourage in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 there. Therefore, encourage one another and edify or build one another up as you are doing. This this parakaleo in the context means urge with uplifting words. It means to console. It means to cheer up, especially in times of discouragement and sorrow. What is the context there of that 1 Thessalonians 5 passage? We see that the Thessalonians experienced that a number of their church members in Thessalonica had died, it says in 4.13. And since Paul had departed, some of the saints there had perished. And so the church members were grieving and they were prone to despair, fearing that their loved one's deaths had occurred before Jesus' second coming and that that would disqualify them for participating in the forever salvation of Christ's appearing and therefore they were dejected. But Paul, in the fourth chapter of Thessalonians, gives them good news. Look in 4, 15 through 17. Listen to this encouragement that he brings to them. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that 
we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who fall asleep. The dead in Christ, you thought they were lost, but the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And, and this was good news. These were words of encouragement that brought joy-filled rapture to the Thessalonians who were sitting in front of their lockers with their sweaty heads, willing to throw in the towel spiritually. They were down for the count. But Paul gives this timely word of Lombardi-like encouragement to them. We'll see our dead brothers and sisters again and forever bask with them in the Lord's presence. Philip Arthur says this, the commentator says this, Though the present seems threatening, the future couldn't look brighter. Paul was aware that his friends already appreciated how important it was to strengthen those who were feeling discouraged. Let them go on, therefore, all the more in this good beginning. Let each of them excel in this business of fortifying and building up his brothers or sisters. So there's a bound in this grace of encouragement with one another. Now, a number of years ago, I was in Holland, Michigan as a pastor, and I was slugging it out in the bleak days of church life, and I'll confess, I found myself emotionally worn out and weary. I was exhausted like a heavyweight boxer in the late rounds. I was on the canvas. I was down with the count. Then I just got this this email from a a dear woman in the church. And here's what the email said. Listen, it was a Monday. Sometimes pastors want to write a letter of resignation on Mondays. The email said this. Pastor, I thought you'd like to know that I was just talking with Sue. And she told me that after your sermon on Sunday night, her husband went home and said that after hearing your message, he had to spend some time alone with God. He stayed in his bedroom alone for a long time and came out noticeably refreshed and changed. And that was it. Lombardi-like, that's all that she said to me. But, but that note of encouragement had such an effect on me. I was a, I was a down-for-the-count boxer who had just received smelling salts. And I was now invigorated, I was enthused, I was enlivened and energized and strengthened and exhilarated. A, a spiritual adrenaline rush if you will. My outlook was radically changed. One commentator named George Adams has said this, encouragement is like oxygen for the soul. You see, it was like adrenaline to me. So, first point, encouragement is like adrenaline. Secondly, encouragement strengthens. Thirdly, consider with me how encouragement gladdens. It gladdens. The book of Proverbs is full of encouragement to be encouraging. Think with me of this text. 12.25 of Proverbs. Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. That word glad in the Hebrew is sama. You see, a good word makes it glad. The same Hebrew word used in 1 Samuel 11:9 when, think with me now, the Israelite city of Jabesh Gilead was being surrounded and threatened by Nahash, the king of Ammon, this, this bully, 
terrorist had pledged that the only way he would let the citizens of Jabesh Gilead survive is if they would agree to let him gouge out all their right eyes. That's 1 Samuel 11, verse 2. But, but then the people received a good word, the text says, and an encouraging one. You see, their new king, Saul, had heard about this bully, Nahash, and Saul was angry about the threat. So, so Saul assembled an army of 60,000 Israelites and began marching toward Jabesh Gilead. And he sent a message ahead to the fretting, eye-twitching town of Jabesh Gilead. And listen to what the message said. It was a good word. It says, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, Saul wrote, you shall have help. And the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh Gilead, and they were glad. That's the same Hebrew word, shema. It says, anxiety in the heart of a man makes it glad. It makes, makes it heavy, but a good word makes it glad. You see, that word from Saul made the eye-twitching, heavy-hearted Jabesh Gileadites Glad, Their anxieties were calmed and their hearts were revived by the good word of encouragement. That's right. It was like a shot of adrenaline to them, that good word. You know what? We can give shots of adrenaline to one another. Think with me of uh, our son Calvin. He goes off to, say, Cedarville College in Southern Ohio. And as he goes there, Diane and I are, are back home wondering, how's, how's Calvin doing? You think once he gets there, he'd, he'd write us a little note or make us a little call. Oh, no. Goes on for a week. Goes on for two weeks. Not a word from Calvin. Imagine with me if then somebody from our church, who also has a student at Cedarville, had gone to visit campus, and then on Sunday night when we're wondering, what's it like with Calvin? We get a telephone call from this couple and says, hey, we just want you to know that we were there at Cedarville. We were in the cafeteria and we saw Calvin. He was sitting at a table with these great guys. He stood right up. He, he introduced us to all the guys. He shook my hand and said, these are my friends. Tell mom and dad I'm doing really well. I'm so thankful that God has brought true Christian brothers into my life. Click, telephone's done. That's it. That was it. You see, Anxiety in the heart of a man and a woman can weigh it down. But a good word makes it glad. There was a total change in our spiritual weather at that point by the good word that made us glad. Gary Brady comments on this proverb, 12.25. Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Gary Brady says this. It has staggered me on occasions to find myself in a thunderous mood only for it to be dispelled by a mere smile or pleasant word from someone. And you know what? We ought to resolve that we will give that smile, that we will give that word that makes our brothers and sisters' hearts glad. Because encouragement is like adrenaline. Encouragement strengthens. Encouragement gladdens. Fourthly, think of how encouragement fattens. Encouragement fattens. Listen to Proverbs 15.30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good word makes the bones fat, or puts fat in the bones. It says a, a good word puts fat on the bones. Now you're thinking, what? 
See, today, things that are fat seem unhealthy, but in the Old Testament times, when poverty meant malnutrition, a little pudginess meant prosperity. So, we understand that even financially is true, or emotionally that's true. Uh, when we're burdened with sorrow, we can lose our appetites, even become gaunt-looking and lose significant weight. Think of how if a spouse dies, the surviving partner may need to be prodded to, to eat something just to keep up their strength. See, the idea of putting fat in the bones refers to a heart at peace and full of joy. Derek Kidner, the commentator, says this. He says, this proverb, 1530, where it says, a good word puts fat in the bones, he calls the proverb tonic. He says this. He says, the idea of a good word from a friend has a heartwarming effect. Facts can change a life and make someone physically strong and emotionally healthy. Like even medical studies reveal that enhanced patient expectations... Dr. Mark could tell us if this is true or not, but I think it is. Enhance patients' expectations through positive information about the treatment or the illness while providing support or reassurance significantly influence health outcomes. In other words, a physician's sharing positive feedback with a cancer patient gives a positive physiological boost to the patient. Think of me this here, this idea of... of the effect of a good report and the way that it can put fat in the bones. A few years ago, there was a young man in our church. He graduated from Hope College in Holland, Michigan with a political science degree. And he had put out feelers for job opportunities, but he got no response. He had quite a debt because of the student loans he had taken out. How was he going to pay this off? He feared that he'd be working at McDonald's with his very expensive degree until... There was a telephone call, and there was good news in that telephone call. And the telephone call said this, Congratulations, Matt. You've been accepted as a member of the George W. Bush White House staff. Click. And that good word put fat on Matt's bone. Because his life had been dramatically changed by that good word. You see, when we encourage... When we give good words to each other, we can transform each other's lives because encouragement is like adrenaline. Encouragement sweetens, encouragement gladdens, encouragement fattens. Now, fifthly out of seven, consider with me how encouragement sweetens. It sweetens. Again, I'm just showing you how this encouragement theme isn't something that comes from Joel Osteen. Now, it comes from Paul. It comes from Solomon. It's all over the scriptures. Think of how it says in uh, Proverbs 16:24. Listen to this. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. George Lawson explains it this way. Words that convey proper counsels and consolations to persons in complexity and distress are pleasant and medicinal like honey from the comb. They revive the drooping spirit and they strengthen the feeble knees. Sounds like something what the writer of Hebrews would say, doesn't it? Think with me of 1 Samuel 14. King Saul's son, Jonathan, was fighting a marathon-like battle against the Philistines. 
Hour after hour he fought through the day to the point where hunger brought him to near exhaustion. And he came into a forest. And what was there hanging thick on the trees? What was it? It was honey, that's right. And it says in verse 27 of 1 Samuel 14, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand. He dipped it into a honeycomb and he put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. See, that honey had the effect of encouraging and pleasant words. As the text says, that pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. That, that, that honey had the effect of encouraging and pleasant words. Think back with me to 1521. Martin Luther was walking to the assembly room at the Diet of Worms. And a certain noted German military commander named George von Frunsberg touched him on the shoulder and said to Luther, My little monk, von Frunsberg was well known as the greatest military commander on earth at this time. My little monk, he says, thou hast today a march and a struggle to go through such as neither I nor the gate captains of my military have fought in bloody battles. But if thy cause be just, go forward in God's name, and he will not forsake you. And just think how this was sweet balm to Luther's trembling heart. It was an exhilarating word of encouragement for his fainting frame, because encouragement, like honey, sweetens. Sixthly, I promise seven main headings. Sixthly, encouragement also enlivens. Encouragement is like adrenaline. Encouragement strengthens. Encouragement gladdens. It fattens. It sweetens. But it also, listen to me, it enlivens. Not Osteen, but Solomon says in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you hear that? Daddy? You're a daddy. Husband? Wife? Pastor? Did you hear that? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We say, don't we, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that's really not true, is it? Words can pack the punch of a baseball bat. In fact, one man comments this way, he says, the tongue can kill, literally. I heard about a woman in L.A. who took her own life, and all she wrote in her suicide note was two words. They said. And that was it. And, and even men, just, you know, sometimes we figure out as we go through life who we are by the pingbacks verbally that we get from other people. We go to the Bible for the big question of who is humanity. But when it comes to the smaller questions like who am I within that humanity, we have to notice how other people responding to us and what they're saying to us, especially what they say about us, has an impact on us, doesn't it? Dad, you think of the words that you speak to your children? Mom, the words that you speak? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We need to be men who, who speak giving life to others, not giving death. Some of us can have a native critical spirit. That's my default setting. But just learning through the scriptures 
how it's important to be able to give words that are sweetening and enlivening and strengthening words. Larry Crabb, ever Larry Crabb, anybody? Okay, Larry Crabb, a well-known Christian counselor and author and speaker, tells of the humiliating, stuttering problem that he had as a youngster. In ninth grade, he ran for the president of his junior high student body, and he won. When he won, he had to give an acceptance speech, but he, he stuttered, and he said, Hello, my name is Larry Crabb, president, and he bumbled his way through it, and he sat down, and he resolved he would never speak publicly again. It was so humiliating. And a short time later, Larry was at his church, and he felt compelled to stand and spontaneously lead the congregation in prayer, and he remembers that he was, again, paralyzed with stage fright. Here's what he says. He writes this. I found my theology becoming confused at the point of heresy. I remember thanking the Father for hanging on the cross and praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the Spirit up from the grave. Stuttering throughout, I finally thought of the word amen, which perhaps was the first evidence of the Spirit's true leading. I said it and I sat down. I then recall staring at the floor, too embarrassed to look around and solemnly vowing never again to pray or speak aloud in front of a group again. And when the prayer meeting was done, he bolted for the back door. And there was an elder who saw him and ran over and grabbed him before he could get out and say, Hey, Larry, I just want you to know, whatever you decide to do for the cause of the kingdom, I'm behind you 100%. Because I think God's going to use you in a mighty way. And that was it. And Crab went out. But it was a word of encouragement, Lombardi-like so the guy was going to quit. You know the rest of the story. Larry Crabb has written probably 50 books, has contributed to the kingdom. He's spoken to probably millions of people publicly. And what was the difference in his life? It was a timely word of life-giving encouragement that spurred him on to be a mighty man for the cause of the kingdom of God. So I've given you seven Points. I've told you, encouragement is like adrenaline. Encouragement strengthens, it gladdens, it fattens, it sweetens, it enlivens. But finally, I just want to say this. Encouragement is an obligation, seventhly. We close with this. Encouragement is an obligation. It's not just something that is a nice thing to do but it's a solemn obligation. In August of 2014, there was a nine-year-old American girl traveling on a United Transatlantic flight from Dublin, Ireland to Newark, New Jersey. Two hours into the flight, she went into anaphylactic shock. Probably had maybe a peanut that she was allergic to and she began to swell up. She began to turn blue. She was gonna die. But somebody on board had, what did they have? Anyone? We have physicians here. They had an EpiPen, which is basically adrenaline in a little canister. And they shot it into her, and the adrenaline calmed the heart rate. It opened up the passageways, and the result was that she was saved. But in reality, in Dublin, just 
18 months later, there was a Dublin girl named Anna Sloan who wasn't so lucky. She had a nut sauce at a restaurant on the sidewalk outside. She went into anaphylactic shock. They went to a pharmacy to get the EpiPen, but because it didn't have the proper paperwork, the pharmacy wouldn't give her the EpiPen, and Emma Sloan died on the sidewalk. Even though it was within people's power to give her what she needed, they passed by and didn't, and she died. You see, what's true in the physical realm is strikingly true in the emotional, spiritual realm. People are vulnerable to the suffocation of extreme discouragement, and we are solemnly obligated to give them shots of adrenaline when it's within our power to deliver. And you know what? You and I pass by on the sidewalk of life, and there are people who are suffocating in discouragement and despair, and we don't make a peep. Remember what it says in Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the what? Tongue. You and I got spiritual epipens right behind our teeth. What do we do with them when we're passing by people who are spiritually suffocating? The text says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You see, encouraging one another is a mutual obligation we have to our fellow man, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. Let me ask you, if you saw a child in a restaurant with a swollen face, gasping for air, and you had an EpiPen in your pocket or purse, wouldn't you, you wouldn't even think of passing by without seeking to deliver a life-giving shot of adrenaline. But some of us daily pass by our neighbors and our dear ones, habitually neglecting to inject the encouragement we have within our power to deliver. It says in Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is the, you have the power to do it in your hand. Or obligation, it says in James 4.17, Therefore, to him who knows the good he could do, but doesn't do it, to him it is, it is sin. Now you may ask, well, how do I know if somebody needs encouragement? You ever hear that guy is Chick-fil-A founder, his name is Truett Cathy? Truett Cathy said this, how do you know somebody needs encouragement? That person is breathing. Look around you in this room. People need encouragement. Now that's not only new to any of us because we all know what it is to be emotionally gasping for air and psychologically feeling suffocated by discouragement and downcast by disappointments and a bleak outlook on life. Maybe I didn't get that job I'd hoped for. Maybe my children's problem is like a heavy weight pressing down on my chest. Maybe I, I'm, I'm staring at a life that doesn't have a single true friend who really cares about me. You see, discouragement is epidemic. People everywhere are weary and heavy laden, aren't they? Matthew 11. You know, and we're all tempted to despair and depression. Even the sturdiest of us. John, do you know a guy named Phil Riken? He wrote a, written commentaries. I, I just used the one on Ecclesiastes recently. Reichen was the pastor of 12th, 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. 
He's a president of Wheaton College. I mean, Riken is a spiritual giant in many ways. Sturdy Christian. But interesting, back in oh, 2012, he gave a college chapel lecture at the Wheaton Chapel, and it was entitled this, Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen. Listen to it right. He talked about how he had been, this is in the, um, the fall, but back in the spring, he was on campus, and he was in a state of depression. Look what he says. It was the spring semester of the academic, you can hear this on the web, by the way. It was the spring semester of the academic year, and I was in trouble. Over the course of long weeks that stretched into months, I fell deeper and deeper into discouragement until eventually I wondered whether I had the will to live. I'm talking about me, not somebody else. Now imagine how the eyes of the co-eds were just big as saucers. Riken? Riken was in depression? I'm talking about myself. I was in a downward spiral. I said to myself, you know, I understand why people would kill themselves. A few days after that, I started to wonder how I would do it if, you know, it wasn't a thought I wanted to have, but Satan was after me. He was tempting me. Things were moving in a bad direction. And at that rate, the rate they were going, who knows how long it would be before I was in real danger. Really? The students thought. Riken? That Christian leader? He was suffocating under the burden of discouragement? He was struggling just like me? Who knew this when crossing paths with him on the campus sidewalks during the spring semester last year? Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. We all suffer discouragement, even the most vigorous of us. I remember a while back going through a, another peculiarly difficult season of ministry as a pastor in my church about seven, eight years ago in Holland. I felt like I was going to quit. I took three or four weeks off. I, I went and visited a couple other churches, and people were preaching in my absence. But when I got back, there was a woman in our church who caught me in the lobby after I preached, and she says, Pastor Mark, look at me, Pastor Mark, she said, it's fine when other pastors are here when they preach. But Pastor Mark, nobody knows us like you do. And that was it. And that was that Lombardi-like word of encouragement to me that gave me about six more years of pastoring in Holland, Michigan. She didn't know, but she just shot me with an EpiPen. You see, timely words of encouragement are priceless. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. Isn't Joel Osteen? It's Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this. It does people good to be told how highly we value them. There is many Christian men and women who would do better now and then if someone would speak a kindly word to them and let them know that they have done well. You see, we ought to be encouraged. Husbands, how about you, husbands? Husbands, you're solemnly obligated to encourage your wives by bringing commending praise. Even think what it says in Proverbs 31, 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and praises her. Now you say, but I praise my wife, I praise my dad. You, yeah, you praise her with an eyedropper when you should use a garden hose. We ought to pour out Praise, gentlemen and ladies as well. Be helpmates of your husbands. 
You see, we should be people who are realizing as you walk around the sidewalks of life that there's a solemn obligation that we give words of encouragement. Mary Beakey writes this. I heard a story once of a boy who was so depressed that he decided to end his life by jumping off a bridge in New York. He left a note saying that if anybody along the way would smile at him or speak a kind word to him, he wouldn't go through with his plan. But nobody did, so he did go through with his plan. Mary writes this, I've always hoped this story was fictitious. I don't know, but it has spurred me on to observe people, and if the situation is appropriate, to smile or speak an encouraging word. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. You see, what's true about adrenaline in the physical realm is strikingly true about encouragement in the spiritual realm. This world is a cursed, dangerous, unfriendly place full of bee stings, nut sauces, tragedies, and disappointments. EpiPens and timely words can rescue lives. People are vulnerable to the suffocation of extreme discouragement. And we are solemnly obligated to give them shots of adrenaline and encouragement when it's within our power to deliver. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Brothers and sisters, let us encourage one another and build one another up all the more and glorify the Lord with our lives together. Just the best word of encouragement I give you this. Close the Lord's day. This is a trustworthy saying with a great acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Regardless of how bad we are, we can be sons of God in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate word of encouragement.